Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from a very special guest speaker, whom we're excited to have with us for this episode. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We've got a lot to get to today. We're going to be talking about spiritual battle. And then we're going to talk about the armor of God. So as I said, I'm going to need the full amount of time. So we're going to get right at it. Behind me on the screen, we're going to read from Revelations. We're going to read in chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 7 through 17. The angel, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you and he is full of fury. Because he knows that his time is short. Father, I thank you for the message that you've been stirring in me for a few months. I thank you for this opportunity to come today and to share it. Father, I pray that you would prepare everyone's hearts in here now for the word that is coming from you, Father. Father, I pray that we would understand the concept of the battle that we are against. The battle that is unseen. This great war that has gone on. For so long and will continue until our Lord Christ comes back to settle it and resolve it once and for all. Father, open the hearts. May their hearts be a fertile surface for your word this morning. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just read the account of when Satan was cast out of the heavens. He and a third of the the angels in heaven along with him. And he is not happy about it at all. We just read in the scripture that he is filled with fury. Satan, the devil, he hates God. He hates the fact that he was put out. He wants power. He wanted to elevate himself to that great place of God. He wants to be like God. And not only is he unhappy with God and angry at God and filled with fury with him, he is filled with fury and he's angry and he hates us. He can't understand how God could love such a creature as us. These lonely little animals who are not spiritual at all. This thing that he created that does not have the power that he has, that the angels had. We're not spiritual beings. He doesn't understand why it is that God loves us so much that he's created a way for us to come back home to him. To now take our place in the heavenly realms. To go home and live in the heavens with him. Taking the place of his home. The, angel, the angels, the evil angels, the, the, the devil himself. He is so upset with us, and he spends all of his time roaming around this earth, from the earth to the skies above, fighting this war, fighting this invisible spiritual war against us, against God, constantly. 
one of the first mentions in the stories of that Job was here on the earth, I mean, that Satan was here on the earth, is found in the book of Job. Now, we know the story of Job, that Satan actually went to the Lord and asked permission to jack around with Job. And said, hey, if you let me take some things from him and, and put him into some turmoil, he's going to turn his back on you. So we know that story. Now, the first five verses of Job, when it starts out, just simply tells us that Job was a righteous man, that he was an upright man, that he was wealthy, that he had been blessed. He had a blessed life, not only materialistically wise, but also with many sons and daughters. He had a wonderful life. And picking up in verse 6 and 7, we read about the account of when Satan went up there. It says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. He's been roaming around here since the time that Job was on this planet. He's still roaming around here now. Like I said, from the earth to the skies, all over, back and forth he goes, relentless in his pursuit of trying to attack us, trying to attack the unbelievers so that they cannot come to know the light of God, so they cannot come to know salvation, trying to attack the believers so that we may turn our faith back around and just walk away from God. He's trying to keep us from being strong witnesses for Christ. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, not only is Satan here, but so are his minions, the false prophets, the demons, the countless people that are here under his influence. Is a great number, is legions of evil out here that are trying to attack us. This is a great force that stands against us. Now, I don't have time to, to give you my full testimony. I've done it from this podium before here, but I want to, to just let you know that I am no stranger to spiritual battles. Although I was saved when I was six years old, there was a time in my early 20s where I willfully, willfully spent about an entire year in the enemy's camp. I was so angry. I was so upset at the institutions that God has set place, the institution of marriage, government, society in general. I was so upset that I was praying to the devil for power. I wanted revenge. I hated life. I hated everything around me. And I spent an entire year in his camp. I've been back and forth in church. There's times when I knew I was called to preach, but I could not do that. I was just undulating back and forth because I was caught up in this great spiritual war. I did not know that I was in a spiritual war at the time, but clearly that was what was going on. You see, not only is attacking unbelievers and attacking folks that don't believe God exists, but he's infiltrated the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, there are those that are here who say they represent one thing, but they're either just straight out lying or the enemy has infiltrated their belief system, their faith to, to a point to where their understanding has been compromised by the enemy. Their advice that they give us may not always be the advice we need to heed. Jesus faced this, did he not? In his ministry here on earth, we know that the Pharisees, we know that God gave his word 
to the Jewish people, to the people of Israel over centuries and centuries of time. And they gave him prophets to be able to recognize that the Messiah was coming. And they couldn't recognize Jesus for that. In fact, the enemy had infiltrated their faith so deeply that they not only didn't recognize Jesus, but they plotted to kill him. Jesus had to confront him in John 8, verses 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Later, after Jesus' ascension and the church is exploding and it's being planted all around the area where Jesus had started his ministry, John warns us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. I wish that I had time, I, I wanted to, but I don't, to, to read some of the excerpts of a, of a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The, the Screwtape Letters. Uh, and if you want to, to get a little bit greater understanding of how the enemy jacks around with each of our heads all the time and how he has a, a whole army of minions and demons under him that are individually attacking all of us day by day to plant these wrong thoughts in our heads to steer us away, uh, it would be a good read. Now, I'll warn you, it is for the mature reader. It is a difficult read, and I wouldn't advise a new Christian to read it. And if if you choose to read it, I would say read it a little at a time and then mix some scripture in with it because it, it's a heck of an attack just in even reading that book. But I want you to know, I will share a little, a little bit of, of one of the excerpts in which th this guy, his plan is great and he is a schemer. And he makes a, a notation in one of the letters that he's written in this book that talks about his strategy will change over the centuries. That there are some centuries that, uh, that people are actually kind of lazy and, and lulled around to kind of sleep, in, in which case they just take advantage of that situation and they just, they just lull people further into sleep where there is no desire to go out and seek God or witness. But he says there are other times, other ages, where there are factions in the world where there is division naturally, in which case they intensify those factions. And, and clearly we can see right now that we are in an age, we are in a time where there are factions. And we can see how evil stirs us as individuals and as groups against one another. He uses many strategies to attack us. Let me ask you a question. Where does God dwell if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, where does he dwell? In your heart, correct? That's right. Scripture tells us that our body is the temple. And we know that our heart is the sanctuary. Ephesians 3.17 says that so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We know this is a fact that Christ dwells in our hearts. <clears throat> we also know through scriptures that God has no darkness in him. That God cannot be around evil. God cannot coexist with darkness, with evil. Is that true? Is that true? So why is it that so many young believers, so many new converts, somebody that has been raised with Christ, that has been given this gift, that has this Holy Spirit, that has this power in their heart, why do we walk around thinking that our hearts are somehow bad? that our hearts are no good. Why is that? When that's contradictory 
Our hearts cannot be bad because if our hearts were bad after salvation, God could not live in them. That would not work out. Through Christ Jesus, we have a new heart. Our heart is good when we are a believer. It is not through us, but it is through the righteousness of Christ. So why do we stay in confusion? Why do we stay so downcast? Why do we feel beat up all the time? Why do we struggle with anxiety, depression, addiction? Why do we feel so powerless? Because we are in a spiritual war. It is warfare. How are we going to fight this warfare? How are we going to fight it? We're going to use the armor of God. We're going to turn now, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me, another passage about the armor of God. It's found in Ephesians 6. We're going to read together verses 10 through 18, and then we're going to jump back, and we're going to, as Kevin says, we're going to walk through it a little bit and break it down and talk about it. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So let's go back to verse 10 where Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I would say like this, Be strengthened in the Lord every day. Know that potentially the day that you wake up that there is an attack coming. That you're going to be at war. You need to find strength in the Lord every day. Be strong in the Lord. But it is in His mighty power. It is not in our power at all. It is in His mighty power. It's the same mighty power that created the heavens, the stars, the earth. It's the same mighty power that rose Christ from death and defeated death. This is the power that we have contained within our very selves. That exact power. This is the power that we use. It is not our human power. We have to be strong in service. We have to be strong in suffering. We have to be strong in fighting but in his strength that comes from our heart. In the natural, our courage is nothing but cowardice. In the natural, our strength is nothing but weakness. But in him, his strength is sufficient to meet all things. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. We got to put it on. I just said everything we need is here. But we have to take the onus on this. We have to put it on. We have to surround our entire bodies with this armor. Now we're going to move through this in a minute and we're going to break down some of the pieces of armor. But it's important that you understand that we need the full armor, not just part of it. If a soldier was to go to war and he was going to leave some of his armor off, then he's going to leave part of himself vulnerable to attack, is he not? And so we need the entire 
armor, not just pieces of it. So we put on the full armor of God. We do it. We put it on so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He is brilliant. I, whoever the most intelligent man on the place of the face of the earth right now, I don't, I don't know. Just think of anybody that you know that's brilliant. He's not anywhere close to as smart and as intelligent as the devil. The devil is a super being. He is a spiritual being. He was a cherub. He was a mighty, mighty warrior for God at one point. He is nothing to mess around with. His war plan, his game plan is tremendous. He does not come and attack us in a red suit with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. That's not the way he rolls. That'd be too obvious, wouldn't it? He's going to attack us in little subtleties. He's going to plant things in front of our face that appear to be good, that appear to be shiny. He's going to dangle that carrot around. He's going to make us chase it, and we're going to go after it. And we're going to get so deep after chasing the wrong thing that looks like it's good. By the time we realize that we've been snagged by the enemy, oftentimes it's late, and it's hard to come back. He is a schemer. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12. Look, it's true. We do have our own individual struggles against our flesh. That we have this carnal nature. And there are things that, that tempt me that don't tempt you. There's things that tempt you that don't tempt me. That's true. We do have that battle of the flesh. But that's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about a much greater war. We're talking that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When you go to war and you have an army, do you not have a general? And then you have colonels and you have captains and you have lieutenants and you have sergeants. You have all the way down to the infantrymen, right? That is how we go about war. And that's the way Satan is warring against us. He has him. He has all the angels. He has all the demonic powers. He has all this whole legions and legions of evil that come against you and I every day, that come against humanity every day. This is no joke of a war. This is real. And you can believe you're in it or not, but I'm telling you you're in it. Every day, every day we're in it. And one day we're all going to bow and confess who's victorious in this war. You need to get real about it and understand what kind of adversary you're against. In verse 13 it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes. What, what's the day of evil? The day of evil is any day that evil tempts you. It is any day that you find yourself struggling with any kind of sin. That is the evil day. Well, some of us may have matured to a point where maybe we go through a day or two here or there where we don't really have an evil day, so we say. Maybe we have a minor struggle in our mind for a moment and we're able to combat it and it's gone. But sometimes we enter into seasons in our life where an evil day is every day and it just piles itself on top of each other. And then it's an evil season. So the evil day is any time that you are under attack. Put on your armor so when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you stand your ground, after you have done everything to stand, when, when you go to war, when you're fighting against an enemy, when you're under attack, 
You stand your ground. You don't want to give up what is yours. You stand your ground and you face your attacker. You fight for all you have. And at the end, if you're victorious, you stand. That's what we're talking about here. That you may be able to stand your ground. We can't give any ground if we distrust the cause that we fight for, which is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we distrust our leader, if we distrust the armor that God has given us to fight, then we open the door. We give a little ground. We need to withstand the assaults of the devil. And in the end, we need to stand victorious. It is no joke. It is not easy to be a soldier for the Lord. It is not easy to recognize our place here. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7-10, through 10, he describes some of this war that he faces. And he says, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, through bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, Poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a, a yo-yo of a life. I, I, I just, I, I fight every day. I fight every day. Some days, I feel like the enemy has beat me up. Uh, uh, some days, I feel like he's calling me an imposter. Some days, I'm rejoicing. Some days I feel poor, some people, some days I feel rich. There is a war that we all fight. We possess what we need to win, to stand. Verse 14 says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. In, 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 in Christ's time, the men that walked around, their, their clothing, outer clothing would be a tunic, perhaps, or a cloak. And it was a big, bulky piece of material, a robe, if you will. And if there was some physical activity that they had to attend to, they would have to take a belt or a sash, and they would have to cinch this around them to draw it in tight so that their cloak would not hinder them while they were doing this physical activity. And what we're putting on is a belt of truth because anything that leads us away from the truth is going to hinder us in our walk. Anything that is not of the truth is going to hinder our ability to be a good witness for Christ. It's going to hinder our ability to feel like we can speak openly with God. It's going to hinder us greatly in our walk. And so we put this belt of truth on. Another reason that we want to have a belt of truth on is because Jesus says in John 14, 6, that he is the way and the truth and the life. We need to strap on the truth of Jesus Christ around our waist. And in his instructions in John 8, verses 31 to 32, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. Amen. We don't want to walk around feeling like captives. We need to put that belt of truth on. The truth will set us free. We'll feel free to march. 
we'll feel free to spread the gospel. We'll feel free to talk to our Father. In verse 14, after we strap on the belt of truth that's buckled around our waist, he says, also put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate was a big metal plate on the chest in in the time of war, and it was meant to, to cover your vital organs, your vitals, right? What we're putting on is the breastplate of righteousness. This is our protection. This is our breastplate. Righteousness. Before the new covenant was set in place when Christ came here and died and rose again, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they thought that they could find their righteousness by following the law. Did they not? That was their whole intent, to follow the law. We know that doesn't work. Even in our day and time, we we try to follow the law, but we know that all have fallen short, that all have sinned. We know that it is practically impossible to completely follow the law, and so our righteousness cannot come through that. Paul said that he was Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? Born in the the family line of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, A Pharisee, he knew the law, he knew the scripture inside and out. A zealot for the church. He, he went around and tried to persecute the followers of the way. He was on fire doing what he thought was right in God's eyes. As far as the law was concerned, he said he was found blameless. But this all changed after his encounter with Jesus Christ on that road that day. And after that encounter with Christ, he said, all these things that I said I had, I count them as loss. If I could only count as gain to be found in the righteousness that comes through Christ. The righteousness that comes through the free gift of grace from God. You see, a breastplate protects you from arrows, protects you from blows. And what happens is we're going to stumble. We're going to fall down every once in a while. We're going to sin. And when that happens, those arrows come our way from the enemy. And it says, look here, see there, you're not righteous. You're no good. You're just a sinner. God doesn't love you. But this breastplate of righteousness is not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ. And Christ says when inside of us, when the enemy is accusing us, he says, no, 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 no. It's not your righteousness that you need to look for. It is mine. And when my Father looks at you and I live inside of you, He sees me. You're not a sinner. You're not a failure. You're my child. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're a priest. You're a priestess. I have gone before you to prepare you a mansion in my home. This is the righteousness that we carry. This is the righteousness that protects us against the lies that the enemy throws at us. In verse 15, he says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Soldiers know how important a good pair of boots are. The terrain that they must walk through is dangerous. It's difficult to tread. And when I go backpacking and trout fishing, the terrain is difficult. And I spend a little extra money and buy some really good boots to protect my feet. So I can walk through this difficult terrain. So what we're fitting ourselves with is the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a personal resolve that we're going to make in our heart. That we're going to abide. We're going to live in the gospel of Jesus. 
And this allows us to walk a steady pace, to walk forward, to be a good witness, to go out and spread the good news of Jesus. It's called the gospel of peace because it encompasses different forms of peace. It's going to give us peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with each other. It is, after all, the peace that the enemy is trying to rob from us, is it not? This could also maybe imply repentance as we turn and we walk away from our old lives and we walk towards God. Walking in peace will guard us from being easily provoked, not turn into anger. It'll help us be gentle and patient with each other. It's an inner peace that comes from a deep relationship with God, having a wholeness about us that was once shattered by sin, but is being restored in the believer. And when we have this deep inner peace between ourselves and the Father, then we can say, just as Paul did in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear. In verse 16, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In the time of war, in Jesus' time, the Roman soldiers, they would have these big two-ply wooden shields that would cover almost their entire body. They were massive. And on the outside, they would have a sheathing that had some kind of flame retardant ability on the outside of it. And they were able to stand behind the shield. And when the flaming arrows came at them, they would not penetrate the shield. And if they stuck there, the retardant flame retardedness of the nature of the shield would extinguish the flames and they would not be hurt by these flaming arrows. And then furthermore, in a line of defense, their brothers would come along beside them and they would stack their shields together and they would have a line of defense. And we need our shields of faith and we need our brothers and our sisters to stand beside us, to bring their shields along beside us, to fight this fight. The flaming arrows that come at us or the temptations that the enemy shoots at us. These, these pleasures that he places before us. These doubts that he puts in our heads. The, the temptation to act out against our loved ones. To act out against people that we don't know. The temptation to, to put ourselves in a faction and say, look at us. We're the right people and you're the wrong people. We're all God's people. This shield of faith is what protects us from these, these temptations that are hurled our way. Verse 17 talks about take the helmet of salvation. A helmet is an awfully important weapon, I mean, a uh, piece of armor in, in a war. It's not, right? all soldiers have it. Why? Well, a blow to the head is probably going to mean a casualty. A blow to the head is probably going to knock you out of the fight. The helmet for the believer is that of salvation. Paul tells us in Ephesus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, describing this. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. We have this wonderful gift of salvation. This is not our home. We have an eternal home, and that cannot be taken away from us. Jesus tells us that nothing can snatch us from him. The, who the Father gives to him, it's his forever. 
We don't have to worry about what's going on down here because this is not our permanent home. We have to be assured in our salvation. This is our helmet. But Satan will continually strike blows to our spiritual heads. He's trying to cast doubt on us. He wants us to doubt our salvation is real. He wants us to doubt that God forgives us. He wants us to doubt that God answers prayers. He wants us to doubt that God cares. He wants us to even doubt that God exists altogether. Once Satan succeeds in planting a seed of doubt, then he's going to pry and weasel and wiggle and push and try to get into that seed of doubt to see if he can collapse our faith. But if we believe that our salvation, our helmet of salvation is secure, it will protect us from the hammer blows of the head that Satan sends our way. We must simply believe. Believe the promises of God. Listen to a couple of verses about the promises of God. Isaiah 40, 31 tells us, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jesus promises in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We have nothing to fear. John promised in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And, we will, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Jesus is coming back. And we're going to be completely restored. We will be like him. This is a promise. The second part of verse 17 tells us that we need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 reads, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Was it not the word of God that Jesus used to combat the temptations of the enemy when he was in the wilderness for the 40 days and the enemy tempted him three times? Was it not the word of God that, that Jesus used? We don't have time to go through all three, but the first temptation that he faced was that the enemy took Jesus up on a high place, it says. And they looked down and they could see all the kingdoms. And the enemy said to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. And Jesus reached down and pulled out not just any scripture, but a specific scripture that we find in Deuteronomy. He tempted him to bow down and worship him. And Jesus said, no, no, it is written that you worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, it was a specific scripture for the specific temptation. We, we, we need to use the word of God. We need to study the Bible. We need to learn verses that will help you overcome temptation or something that you can teach others so that they can do the same. 
specific verses for, for specific situations. That's why we stay in the Word. That's why we study the Word. You can't wait till you're under attack and then run over the corner and get your old dusty Bible out and <laughs> blow it off and start thumbing through it and grab over here and get a concordance and start looking for the right verse to fight the battle that you are under because by the time you do all that, the outcome of the battle has been decided and you have lost. You need to take your spiritual health seriously. I want to leave you with some good positive verses. Fear not is what I want to tell you to start with. Fear not. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide you a way so that you can stand up under it. Did we just not talk about standing and standing up? This is how we stand, through the armor of God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the last verse I want to bring up is one that somebody told me earlier this morning. Oh, that's a controversial verse. And I said, well, it ain't controversial to me because God gave it to me. Luke 10, verses 19 through 20. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.